your time, folks! This is the American Variety Network on Block Talk Radio with Alex Cardinal. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts. This episode of the American Variety Network is brought to you by Caribsea. Check us out at www.caribsea.com. Happy Easter from all of us at the American Variety Network. May your Easter months be full of great joy. And may you have a great Easter on Sunday, March 27th. Happy Easter, everyone! Are you ready? Hey, you think you can tell us what to do? You think you can... Good Wednesday evening, everyone, and welcome to the very first weekly news hour on American Variety Network. I'm your host, Alex Cardinelli. This is going to be a show where I will be discussing the current news and current happenings from all around the United States and world. I am always watching Fox News, CBS News, MSNBC, and NBC News. So I figured I'd give it a shot and see how well it does on a podcast. I hope all of you enjoy this show and will tune into all of my weekly news hour episodes. Now, this show is going to air on Wednesdays exclusively on the American Variety Network. So every Wednesday, you can expect to see a weekly news hour. The only time Weekly News Hour will not air is when there is a special episode, like a 350th, or if I am not feeling well. But you will know days in advance, so please count on me to deliver the new show to you. In most cases, the show must go on, But in case there will be a different show, I will let you know about a week ahead or, in the least, a few days ahead. Now, you can expect USA News and World News and the occasional American Variety Network News if I ever have any. Now, plan for the show today. Today in history, Wednesday, March 9th in history. Plus, I'll talk about this week's news and happenings. I'll be covering the Peyton Manning retirement. I'll be covering the controversial law that might take place in Alabama that has sex offenders and pedophiles shitting bricks. 
and I'll be talking about a possible merger between 23 Jump Street and Men in, Men in Black, and I've got some news for the American Variety Network. I've got a lot planned for our very first show. Ladies and gentlemen, I am excited to start this show with some great news. Don't go anywhere. Weekly News Hour begins right after this. You are tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Blog Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network where I find the show is very educational and entertaining. You are tuned into the Weekly News Hour. Alex is going to recap the latest in this week's current news, sports, entertainment, and much more. Plus, he will take a blast from the past, and we will all learn about this day in history. So let's get this news station started. The News Hour is ready for blast off, starting now. All right, we're going to start this week's episode of Weekly News Hour off with some Today in History. Today is Wednesday, March 9th, the 69th day of 2016. There are 297 days left in the year. Today's highlights in history. On March 9, 1916, more than 400 Mexican raiders led by Pancho Villa attacked Columbus, New Mexico, killing 18 Americans. During the First World War, Germany declared war on Portugal. On this date, in 1933, Congress called into special session by President Franklin D. Roosevelt began its 100 days of enacting New Deal legislation. In 1954, 
CBS newsman Edward R. Murrow critically reviewed Wisconsin Senator Joseph R. McCarthy's anti-communism campaign on See It Now. In 1965, the Reverend James Reb, a white minister from Boston who gone to Selma, Alabama to show support for civil rights marchers, was attacked by a group of white men and struck on the head. He died two days later at age 38. In 1981, Dan Rather made his debut as principal anchorman of the CBS Evening News. In 1990, Dr. Antonia Novalia was sworn in as Surgeon General, becoming the first woman and the first Hispanic to hold the job. That's actually Dr. Antonia Novalia. Actually, Novelio. There we go. Dr. Antonia Novelio. Sorry about the botch there, but you guys can laugh at that. Anyway, five years ago, after a trip to the International Space Station, Shuttle Discovery ended its career as the most flowing U.S. spaceship, returning from orbit for the last time. Illinois Governor Pat Quinn signed legislation abolishing the death penalty in his state and committing the sentences of all remaining death row inmates. David Broder, 81 years old, one of the nation's premier political reporters for decades, died in Arlington, Virginia. One year ago, in northwestern Argentina, two helicopters collided and burst into flames shortly after taking off near the remote settlement of Villa Castilla, killing both pilots and eight French nationals. Apple CEO Tom Cook unveiled the Apple Watch in San Francisco. Today's birthdays, singer Mark Lindsay, Paul Revere and the Writers, is 74 years old. Former ABC anchorman Charles Gibson is 73. Rock musician Robin Trower is 71. Singer Jeffrey Osborne is 68. Country musician Jimmy Faden of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band is 68. Actress Jamie Lynn Buer is 67. Magazine editor Nicole Kinsley is 65. TV newscaster Faith Daniels is 59. Actress Linda Fiorentino is 58. Rapper Bow Wow is 29. Rapper UG is 26. Actor Louis Armin Garcia is 24. And actress Ciara Ramirez is 21. I would like to take this moment to wish any of my listeners with a birthday on March 9th, a birthday today, happy birthday. I hope you guys have a fantastic birthday. And the thought for today, 
anybody who wants the presidency so much that he'll spend two years organizing and campaigning for it is not to be trusted with the office. And that is from David Broder. He was born in 1929, and he passed away in 2011. And that is Today in History. All right, so let's get to the news. Our first news story is kind of sad, but I saw this one coming miles away. I saw it after Super Bowl 50. You know, it's kind of sad hearing about this player's retirement because he was one of the best quarterbacks of my childhood and of my lifetime. So, Peyton Manning retires from the NFL following his Super Bowl 50 victory. Two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback Peyton Manning announced his retirement Monday at a news conference. A visibly emotional Manning shared an antidote from his first of 18 seasons in the NFL when he had a chance to shake the hand of legendary quarterback Johnny Unitas after a tough loss to the Baltimore Ravens. Choking up as he remembered the exchange, Manning said, he told me, Peyton, you stay at it. I am pulling for you. I hope that old number 19 is up there with his flat top and maybe his black high tops on, and I hope he knows I have stayed at it, and maybe he's even a little proud of me, Peyton Manning said. There's just something about 18 years. 18 is a good number, and today I retire from professional football. Peyton Manning thanked the people of his hometown of New Orleans, his alma mater, the University of Tennessee, the Indianapolis Colts, the Denver Broncos, and his family. He said he reveres football, loves the game, and will absolutely miss it. Among the things he will miss about playing in the NFL, he cited opposing players and coaches by name, team plane rides, shaking the hand of Patriots quarterback Tom Brady, and breaking down games with his father. Pan Manning retires as the NFL's all-time passing touchdown leader with 539 touchdowns and passing yards, with 71,940 passing yards. The first starting quarterback to win two Super Bowls with two different teams and a five-time MVP. He's known for reading defenses from the line of scrimmage, waving his arms, yelling, If you ever watched him play, you definitely heard one of his favorite audibles, Omaha, and rearranging his offense to try to throw the opposing line off balance. Manning has also been credited with helping to usher in a new era of the passing quarterback in the NFL. John Elway, former NFL quarterback and current Broncos general manager, said that Peyton Manning revolutionized the game. Peyton Manning, 
the son of former NFL quarterback Archie Manning and brother to giant starting quarterback Eli Manning, played college football at the University of Tennessee before being drafted first overall in the 1998 NFL draft by the Colts. He played 13 seasons there before undergoing a series of neck surgeries that forced him to miss the 2011 season. After the Colts released him, he signed with Denver in 2012, where he played four seasons and won Super Bowl 50. For most of his career, Manning has enjoyed a wholesome reputation and a highly marketable public image. Forbes calls him the most marketable NFL player for most of the past decade, with endorsement deals with Buick, Nationwide, Papa John's, Gatorade, DirecTV, and Nike. But in recent months, two sets of allegations have marred his squeaky clean image. In December, Al Jizia America released a documentary alleging that Manning used human growth hormone, something Manning denied. Then after the Super Bowl, a sexual assault allegation from his days at Tennessee resurfaced. A female athletic trainer alleged he had placed his exposed genitals on her face during an exam. Manning said he was mooning another athlete in the room. Manning had not addressed the incident publicly, but was asked about it during his retirement news conference. This is a joyous day, and nothing can overtake from this day, he said. I think it is sad that some people don't understand the truth and the facts, and I did not do what has been alleged, and I'm not interested in relitigating something that happened when I was 19 years old. So it is kind of sad to see a, uh excellent quarterback retire. He was a good quarterback, and certainly he will be in the Hall of Fame. He will be a Hall of Fame quarterback without a doubt. And I think it's the perfect way to end your career with a Super Bowl victory. And not just any Super Bowl victory. Super Bowl 50 victory. That is really, really interesting. So it's a great way to end an awesome season, an awesome 18-year season. All right. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and play parts of the Peyton Manning retirement speech. It originally was a 25-minute speech, but I cut it in half. I want you guys to hear this because this is historic. Here's the Peyton Manning retirement speech. In my very first NFL game, I completed my first pass to Hall of Fame running back Marshall Falk. I threw a touchdown in that same game to Marvin Harrison, who will be inducted into the Hall of Fame this August. The quarterback for our opponent, the Miami Dolphins, was, after my dad, my favorite player, Hall of Famer Dan Marino, who on the first third down of the game completed a 25-yard skinny post. And it was the damnedest throw I'd ever seen. 
Later, I completed the pass to tight end Marcus Pollard down the middle. And somebody hit me really hard. And after I got up, I told myself, I know I can play in this league. Later in that struggling season, we played in and lost to Baltimore. It was the first time that the Colts had returned to Baltimore since they had moved back in 1984. We didn't exactly get a warm reception that day. Fans were screaming at me, and I kept thinking, hey, I was only eight years old then. Get off of my back. I had met him once before, but when the game was over, I had a chance to shake Johnny Unitas' hand. He told me, Peyton, you stay at it. I'm pulling for you. Well, I have stayed at it. I've stayed at it for 18 years. And I hope that old number 19 is up there with his flat top and maybe his black high tops on. And I hope he knows that I have stayed at it and maybe he's even a little proud of me. There's just something about 18 years. 18 is a good number. And today I retire from pro football. I want to thank the people of New Orleans and South Louisiana. New Orleans is my hometown. And of course they support their own team, the Saints but they also support their own. And that city and state have backed me from the start. Almost 19 years ago to the day, I announced my decision to forego the draft and stay at the University of Tennessee for my senior year. It was one of the smartest decisions I've ever made. I cherished my time in Knoxville, especially my senior year. And I want ball fans everywhere to know the unique role that you've played in my life. Thank you to the Indianapolis Colts organization and all the fans across this country. You can't fathom how much I enjoyed my 14 years there or the warmth that my family feels for you. I'd be wrong not to mention Jim Irsay, Bill Polian, some great coaches, support staff, and a host of wonderful Colts teammates, many of whom will be lifelong friends. When I was drafted by the Colts, Indianapolis was a basketball and a car race in town. But it didn't take long for the Colts to convert the city and state of Indiana into football evangelists. We ended my rookie season 3-13, and and in the process I set the NFL rookie record for interceptions, a record that I still hold today. <laughs> Every year I pull for a rookie quarterback to break that record. Andrew Luck, Matthew Stafford, Eli Manning, Cam Newton. I still kid Eli that he would have broken it if he had started all 16 games. In the beginning of my time in Indy, the team's struggles were agonizing. My grandfather would call me weekly to ask if his favorite announcers, John Madden and Pat Summerall, would be broadcasting our game. Pawpaw, I'd say, we're only 2-8 and eight right now. We're playing the 3-7 and seven Bengals. Madden and Summerall don't broadcast those kinds of games. Fast forward to my second year when we had gotten things going a little bit. We were playing the Dallas Cowboys, including Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, and Deion Sanders. I called Paul Paul. Guess what? Madden and Summerall are broadcasting the game. He said, I can't believe it. <laughs> he was elated. He was very proud. And we beat the Cowboys that week. And we let the world know that the Colts had arrived. Make no mistake about it, we were coming, and we went on to do some phenomenal things, like winning at least 12 games seven years in a row, and of course winning Super Bowl 41. 
and I was truly honored and proud to be a part of it. There's a saying that goes, treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he could be, and he will become what he should be. When I visited Denver four years ago, if John Elway had sat me down and said, Peyton, here's what we're going to do. We're going to win over 50 games, win four straight division championships, lose only three division games in four years, and none will be on the road. We'll beat the Patriots in two championship games. You're going to win NFL Comeback Player of the Year, another MVP. Your offense will set single-season passing records. You'll break a couple more all-time records, and we'll go to a couple of Super Bowls. I think I would have taken that deal. John, you did tell me that, didn't you? Grateful is the word that comes to my mind when thinking of the Denver Broncos. I want to thank Pat Bowen and his family, Joe Ellis, John Elway, John Fox, Gary Kubiak, and their staffs, for, and all the support people in this great organization. To all of my Denver teammates, thank you for what you've done for this old quarterback. And, of course, my gratitude to the Broncos fans everywhere. Over my NFL career, I've had five head coaches who helped me become better at my craft and helped me become a better human being. Jim Mora, Tony Dungy, Jim Caldwell, John Fox, Gary Kubiak. While I've obviously changed teams, I've had the same football representation for almost two decades. I owe Tom Condon many thanks. He has represented me with class at every juncture, and he'll always be a great friend. I want to thank a tremendous group of friends who have supported my football career and been at my side at games from high school to Tennessee, Indy, and through that incredible Broncos Super Bowl win last month. You know who you are and what you mean to me. And there is no way to measure or properly express what a family like mine can mean. Mom, Dad, Cooper, Eli, extended family, you are the best. And Ashley, your support is as potent a motivator as any man could have. Ashley's and my kids, Marshall and Mosley, have only been around for a couple of years, but they have changed my life forever. A week before the Super Bowl, our daughter Mosley asked me, Daddy, is this the last game? Yes, Mosley, it's the last game of the season. I sure do want you to win that trophy. I do too, Mosley. And that's what we're going to try to do. Then she asked, Daddy, is this the last game ever? And that's just when I shook my head in amazement, because I was thinking Mort and Adam Schefter had gotten to my five-year-old daughter to cultivate a source. <laughs> when someone thoroughly exhausts an experience, they can't help but revere it. I revere football. I love the game. So you don't have to wonder if I'll miss it. Absolutely. Absolutely, I will. Our children are small now, but as they grow up, we're going to teach them to enjoy the little things in life because one day they'll look back and discover that those really were the big things. So here are the seemingly little things that when I look into my rearview mirror have grown much bigger. I'm going to miss a steak dinner at St. Elmo's in Indianapolis after a win. My battles with players named Lynch, Lewis, Thomas, Bruski, Fletcher, Dawkins, Seau, Erlocker, Palomalu, Harrison, Woodson, and Reed. And with coaches like Fisher, Ryan, Belichick, Kiffin, Phillips, Rivera, LeBeau, Cornell, Capers, Lewis, 
the late Jim Johnson, and so many more. I always felt like I was kind of playing against that middle linebacker or that safety or that defensive coach. I miss figuring out blitzes with Jeff Saturday, Reggie sitting on top of the bench next to me, and perfecting a fake handoff to Edgerman James. I miss Demarius Thomas telling me that he loved me and thanking me for coming to Denver after every touchdown I threw to him. I miss putting in a play with Tom Moore and Adam Gase that ends in a touchdown on Sunday. On Fridays, I'll miss picking out the game balls of my equipment, guys. And talking football with the broadcast crews before the game, and afterwards I'll miss recapping the game with my dad and checking to see if the Giants won and calling Eli as we're both on our team buses. I miss that handshake with Tom Brady, and I miss the plane rides after a big win with 53 teammates standing in the aisles laughing and celebrating during the whole fight. I miss playing in, some, in front of so many great fans, both at home and on the road, and I'll even miss the Patriot fans in Foxborough, and they should miss me because they sure did get a lot of wins off of me. And this is important. Football fans everywhere need to know how much they've meant to me over the years. Fans, you are at the core of what makes this game remarkable. I've received more letters from you than I can count. Fan letters that have touched me, made me think, laugh, and moved me to act. I've learned a lot through my mistakes, stumbles, and losses in football. I've also learned that this game is a mighty platform that has given me a voice that can echo well beyond the game. Football has taught me not to be led by obstructions and setbacks, but instead to be led by dreams. Due to some good genes, I'm smart enough to know that those lessons can enrich who I am and where I go from here. I'm totally convinced that the end of my football career is just the beginning of something I haven't even discovered yet. Life is not shrinking for me. It's morphing into a whole new world of possibilities. Pundits will speculate that my effort and drive over the past 18 years were about mastery and about working to master every aspect of the NFL game. Well, don't believe them, because every moment, every drop of sweat, every bleary-eyed night of preparation, every note I took and every frame of film I watched was about one thing, reverence for this game. When I look back on my NFL career, I'll know without a doubt that I gave everything I had to help my teams walk away with a win. There were other players who were more talented, but there was no one who could out-prepare me. And because of that, I have no regrets. There's a scripture reading, 2 Timothy 4-7, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Well, I fought a good fight, I have finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. God bless all of you, and God bless football. Wow, what a good retirement speech from one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Have a good retirement, Peyton Manning. All right, moving on now. This next story is pretty interesting, and I'm quite intrigued, to say the least. I, for one, will want to see this happen, and that is 23 Jump Street Men in Black crossover moving forward with director James Bobbin. 
The surprise may have been ruined in Sony's hack fiasco last year, but insiders tell Variety the studio is indeed planning a 23 Jump Street Men in Black crossover movie. According to sources, James Bobbin, director of The Muppets and Flight of the Conchords, is in early talks to direct the action comedy. While no official green light has been given, Sony is already eyeing a June production start date. A spokesman for the studio had no comment. Bobbin will be stepping in for Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who directed the first two picks but are unable to direct the crossover due to their commitment to the Han Solo pick they're helming at Disney. Lord and Miller are still on as producers along with Neil Mortz, Walter Parkies, and Lori McDonald of Parks and McDonald. Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum will return to reprise their roles as Janko and Schmidt, respectively. The two are also producing. As for Agent J and Agent K, executives have already made it clear Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones will not be reprising the roles they made famous as the studio looks to use this film to relaunch the franchise with younger, fresher faces. With that summer right around the corner, these roles are likely to become two of the most coveted roles in town, given the A-list talents the actors would be replacing. The idea of intertwining both franchises into one film came to light during the Sony hack crisis in the winter of 2014 when a leaked email from former co-chair Amy Pascal surfaced containing information regarding Hill's involvement in the hybrid. While there was criticism over social media about the idea, Sony still decided to move forward with it, setting Rodney Rossman to pen the script. Sources now say Rossman has delivered the script and the studio is pleased with it. Plot details are under lock and key, with only a few copies of the script available. Most people have to drive to the studio to read the script if they have any interest and pitching their client to direct. While several directors met for the gig, sources say Bobbin has been a favorite for some time. Bob in cuts his teeth as one of the executive producers and directors on HBO series Flight of the Concords before landing the Muppets movie at Disney. He most recently directed Alice Through the Looking Glass, the sequel to Alice in Wonderland. He is rep by UTA. So that is pretty interesting. I cannot wait to see 23 Jump Street and uh, Men in Black crossover. That would be a good movie. All right. The next story is kind of interesting. Wow. Talk about Alabama stepping up their game. Can you imagine getting your penis chopped off, getting castrated? Well, that 
is what is going to happen to pedophiles and sex offenders in Alabama. Alabama lawmaker proposes mandatory castration for child sex offenders. An Alabama lawmaker wants to introduce a new form of punishment in addition to imprisonment for those found guilty of child sexual abuse, permanent surgical castration. State Representative Steve Hurst's bill would mandate that any person over the age of 21 who commits a sex offense against a child 12 years old or younger be surgically and permanently castrated before leaving custody. They have marked this child for life, and the punishment should fit the crime, Hurst said. This isn't Hurst's first time introducing the bill. I had people call me in the past when I introduced it, and they said, don't you think this is inhumane? I asked them, what's more inhumane than when you take a little infant child and you sexually molest that infant child when the child cannot defend themselves or get away? And they have to go through all the things they have to go through, said Hearst. If you want to talk about inhumane, that is inhumane. He said he believes that this punishment would reduce the number of sex offenders by making them think twice. The bill will have to pass the Judiciary Committee before it's heard by the Alabama House and Senate. So I actually agree with this law, and I hope that it does pass. And not only do I hope it pass in Alabama, I hope it passes countrywide, because I guarantee you it will reduce the number of pedophiles and sex offenders out on the streets. All right. The next story is a good one for those who love Six Flags like myself. Virtual reality goggles used to intensify roller coaster experiences. The thrill of riding a roller coaster is being taken to the next level with the addition of virtual reality experiences on some Six Flags roller coasters. Virtual reality can be used to make the viewer feel like they're in another place. The idea behind Six Flags enhanced roller coaster experiences is for riders to strap on a Samsung Gear VR headset in addition to physically being on the ride. Riders will feel all of the usual adrenaline from the roller coaster, but will be viewing a realistic 360-degree virtual world. As the 3D movements are seen in the goggles, the rider's body will experience identical motion on the roller coaster, according to Six Flags' website. While it may seem alarming, a headset could possibly fall off a rider during all the twist turns and upside-down maneuvers. Six Flags plans to include a safety lanyard in addition to the usual straps on the Gear VR, according to a fax section on its site detailing the new experience. And because it's the question most germaphobes are asking by now, Six Flags says the headsets will be equipped 
with antimicrobial leather and will be wiped down after each use. Six Flags is planning nine experiences with the virtual reality roller coasters making their, their debuts this month and through the summer. And I can inform you that the virtual reality ride at Six Flags New England will be the brand new Superman ride where the old Bizarro used to be. All right, the next story is going to be a very popular one because the man it is involving is a very popular man, Hulk Hogan. The man is that some say revolutionized and made wrestling pop popular. Is Hulk Hogan a sex addict? Hulk Hogan testifies in a $100 million suit against Gawker. Sex tape posted online turned my world upside down. Hulk Hogan took the stand on Monday in his trial seeking $100 million from the website Gawker, which published a secretly recorded sex tape of the wrestler. Hogan, wearing a black suit, a silver chain with a cross and a black bandana, said of the sex tape, it's turned my world upside down. The main thing is I was concerned about my children and my new wife, Jennifer. He added, my family's been through so much. I didn't know how they would survive. I was worried about how this thing was going to affect everything with my relationship with my children. Hogan, 62, is going by his legal name, Terry Boella, at the trial. He claims his privacy was violated when Gawker posted a portion of a video in 2012 showing him having sex with Heather Clem, the former wife of his then-friend Bubba the Love Sponge, a radio shock jock. Jury selection in the case was held last week. As he entered the courtroom Monday morning, he told reporters he was feeling pretty darn good and said he was not used to getting up this early except to work out. Gawker has held that the post is protected by the First Amendment and that Hogan's complaint is undermined because Gawker claims he has publicly boasted about his sex life. Gawker gave a new statement Monday to people that read, in part, Hulk Hogan was more than willing to talk about his sex life, including in two autobiographies, a reality TV series, and Howard Stern's radio show, until he didn't like what Gawker had to say. Now he wants $100 million as compensation. The statement added, Compare that with the $5,000 settlement that Bubba paid Hulk for the actual taping. And Bubba also had plenty to say about the tape he made, talking about it on his radio show, on Howard Stern's radio show, and in his deposition for this case. But we've just learned that Bubba will plead the fifth during his trial rather than answer important questions about the facts that could undermine Hulk Hogan's claims. But Hogan's lawyer, David, told people that Gawker's First Amendment defense is a pathetic Hail Mary. 
No jury would be so naive as to believe that type of claim, especially in light of the fact that Gawker knew Terry did not know that this video was recorded. He did not authorize the disinitiation of the video. It was disseminated without his consent. The invocation of the First Amendment in this case is pathetic. Last summer, Hogan told people the sex tape, I will not back down from this type of evil. Despite all of Gawker's threats, I will not back down from this type of evil. Very, very interesting story there. Well, speaking of sex addicts, news for this week does not end there. Fox Sports broadcaster Aaron Andrews awarded $55 million in a lawsuit over nude video case. A jury awarded Aaron Andrews $55 million on Monday in her lawsuit against a stalker who bought a hotel room next to her and secretly recorded a video of her that showed her in the nude filming that the hotel companies and the stalker shared in the blame. After a full day of deliberations, the panel said the stalker was responsible for 51% of the blame and the two hotel companies would share the rest, which comes out to nearly $27 million. Andrews, a Fox Sports reporter and co-host of the TV show Dancing with the Stars, wept as jurors announced a verdict. She hugged her attorneys and family who have supported her inside the courtroom throughout the emotional trial. Jurors heard directly from Andrews, who testified that she was humiliated, shamed, and suffers from depression as a result of the video, which has been viewed by millions of people online. Andrew's parents described for jurors the terror they and their daughter felt after learning of the video, but not knowing who took it, where it was shot, and if anyone was still watching their daughter. An FBI investigation would later reveal that Michael David Barrett shot videos in hotels in Nashville and Columbus, Ohio, and posted them online. The trial focused on the Nashville Marriott at Vanderbilt and Video. On Friday, Circuit Court Judge Hamilton Gaydon found Barrett at fault. It was only up to jurors to decide if the hotel owner, West End Hotel Partners, and former operator, Windsor Capital Group, should share in the blame. The hotel is a franchise, and Marriott is not part of the trial. Attorneys for the companies argued that while what happened to Andrews was distressing, the convicted stalker should be slowly to, to blame because he was a determined criminal. The attorneys also suggested that Andrew's rise in her career shows she did not suffer severe and permanent distress. Andrew said Barrett's arrest and imprisonment did not make the ordeal end. 
She broke down on the stand repeatedly, saying she continues to suffer because people are still watching the videos and taunting her about them. This happens every day of my life, Andrew said tearfully. Either I get a tweet or somebody makes a comment in the paper or somebody sends me a still video to my Twitter or somebody screams it at me in the stands and I'm right back to this. I feel so embarrassed and I am so ashamed. Barrett pleaded guilty to stalking Andrews, altering hotel room peepholes, and taking nude videos of her. He was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. Andrews has maintained that someone at the hotel gave out her room number to Barrett and honored his request to be placed next to her. She said no one ever told her that he asked to be in an adjoining or connecting room. Had she known that, she would have called police. Barrett was a Chicago-area insurance company executive who frequently traveled around the country when he took the video of Andrews at the Nashville Hotel in September of 2008. He shot nearly five minutes of video of her while she was nude inside her room. Barrett didn't show up for the trial like a coward. In his videotape deposition, he said that he alone was to blame. He said he correctly guessed that she would be at the hotel. It was the one closest to the Vanderbilt football game Andrews was covering. By calling and pretending to be in a group with Andrews and asking for confirmation of the reservations. He said he used an in-house employee phone to learn her room number and made a request to be in the room next to Andrews. During closing arguments, one of Andrews' lawyers said Barrett tried to take all the blame because he holds a grudge against her over his conviction and doesn't want her to win any money. Barrett said he posted the recordings online after celebrity gossip website TMZ refused to buy them. The only reason he picked Andrews, he said, was because she was popular and he saw that she was trending on Twitter. Actually, I am really happy that uh, Aaron Andrews won this case and won $55 million because that sick um, David Bennett now has to pay, or David Barrett now has to pay some money back to uh, this poor girl. All right. So we're going to take our commercial break right now because I've been talking for 50 minutes because I want to uh, rest my voice for a few minutes and I'm going to go find some more interesting news to share with you. Don't go anywhere. More news is coming up next. During this commercial break, there will be some music in our commercials and reminders. This is going to be a very, very fun intermission. You're going to enjoy my two songs, and I hope you enjoy my commercials and reminders. Coming up next, next. More news, American Variety Network show news, and more. Don't go anywhere, folks. 
Yeah, I'm back to drive you crazy with the hottest shit in the street. No ifs, ands, or maybes. Everybody gather around. From here to Little Haiti, cause it's Fuck Luda. And with Flip Mode and DTP. Shit be getting ugly, Weezy. Tell them what you rap. I rap the shit, young butt. Yeah, I know you got me, homie. Bust the bust, I got you. Real talk. Going in. Get him, kill him. About to blast out, call it rocket science. Daddy fat sacks, check my pocket size. And if you won't try it, come on and try it. You don't want beef, I put you on a diet. I'm coming to your house with them chapters firing. And all adults die, the time is crying. I've been a soldier, never met Private Ryan. Hey, welcome to the jungle, and I'm the lion. I'm dipping in my coop with the tap behind me. I'm not the president, but I see cops behind me. But
products such as live sand for saltwater aquariums, which will help cycle your aquarium. Life Rock, the best and safest alternative to live rock without the unwanted pests. The best line of aquarium chemicals for both fresh and salt water. Next time you need quality products for your tank, give Care of Sea a try. Check us out at careofsea.com.
N coupons. All capital letters. So the next time you order from Blue Zoo Aquatics, enter the coupon code EVN coupons. All in capital letters. This promotion lasts from now until the end of March. So make sure you save 15% off your next order with Chef Alex Cardinelli here. I am proud to announce that I am going to be hosting my very own culinary school series called Cookie School with Chef Alex. With Chef Alex, will teach you everything you would learn at culinary school, but for free. Mark your calendars. Cooking School with Chef Alex debuts Thursday, March 10th, 2016 at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, and 5 p.m. Pacific live on American Variety Network. Our first topic is going to be food safety. What is the temperature danger zone? What is cross-contamination? How can we keep food safe? All of these questions will be answered on March 10th. So see you then. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash American Network. Next Saturday, March 12th, 2016, live on Saturday, live with Alice Cardinelli. Our special guest will be Keith Norman, the third administrator of our group, National Saltwater and Reef Society. He's a very experienced saltwater aquarist, and he's going to talk to us about saltwater. Plus... A new segment debuts, and it's going to be called Cooking on Saturday, Best Recipe for the Weekend, and it's going to be Chicken Franchise and Veal Franchise, plus, I'll answer your questions and ask away with Alice Cardinelli, email your questions to AliceGoYankee. Cardinelli19 at gmail.com or American Variety Network at Comcast.net. Plus, all of our great segments, including funny phone calls, funny audio clips, and more. So join Saturday Live with Alice Cardinelli next Saturday, March 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Calling all Massachusetts residents coming to the American Variety Network on Sunday, March 16th, 2016 at 8 p.m. Eastern is The Mass Effect with Alex Cardinelli, where I'll be talking about current happenings in Massachusetts news in Massachusetts, and 
I'll even promote local Massachusetts businesses. I'm also going to interview some wonderful people from Massachusetts. This is going to be the first Massachusetts Blog Talk Radio Show. It's the one stop for every hardworking Massachusetts person. So check out The Mass Effect with Alice Cardinelli on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern if you are a Massachusetts resident. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash American Network. It's the Easter Bunny, Alice Cardinelli, and I'm inviting you to join me on Easter morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Mountain, and 6 a.m. Pacific, as I celebrate Easter with all of you, my listeners, live right here on American Variety the latest in this week's current news, sports, entertainment, and much more. Plus, he will take a blast from the past, and we will all learn about this day in history. So let's get this news station started. The News Hour is ready for Blast Off, starting now. to the private memorial 
at Simi Valley's Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Among those who had responded and reserved a spot by Tuesday were former President George W. Bush and his wife, former First Lady Laura Bush, former First Lady Rosalind Carter, First Lady Michelle Obama, and former First Lady Hillary Clinton. Ms. Regan's funeral service preceded by Oh, I've already said that. Here we go. One of our saddest situations is we have so many people who have called or written saying they would like to attend, but unfortunately it needs to be by invitation only because we only have so much room on the lawn. As a result, Miss Reagan was very adamant about having some time where the public could come by and play, pay last respects. Public viewings are scheduled at the library from 1 to 7 p.m. on Wednesday and 10 to 2 p.m. on Thursday. First Lady funerals, once a quiet affair, changed significantly following the death of President Franklin D. Roosevelt's widow, Eleanor Roosevelt, in 1962. Mrs. Roosevelt, a United Nations delegate, author, and prominent political figure in her own right, tried to keep the event fairly quiet, limiting the guest list to 250 people, although those guests included President John F. Kennedy, former President Harry Truman, and Dwight Eisenhower, and future President Lyndon Johnson. More than 1,000 mourners jammed the streets outside the church in Hyde Park, New York. The most recent First Lady funeral was for President Gerald Ford's widow, Betty, in 2011. Some 800 people, including Mrs. Reagan, attended a private memorial service for her in Palm Springs, California, followed by a second smaller service in her hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. When former President Richard Nixon's wife, Pat, died in 1993, some 4,000 people attended a public viewing for her at the Richard Nixon Library in Yorba Linda, California. A private service took place the next day, and Miss Regan and her husband were among those who attended. It was sad to hear that First Lady, former First Lady, um... Nancy Regan passed away this week. So right now I would like to take this time to issue a moment of silence for former First Lady Nancy Regan. All right, now moving on to our next story. Virginia becomes first United States state to regulate fantasy sports. Virginia Governor Terry McCoffey has signed a bill that makes the state the first in the United States to regulate fantasy sports, a multi-billion dollar online business 
whose legality has been challenged across the country. The measure signed by McCuffley, a Democrat, mandates that players be 18 years or older, offers players limits on how much they can bet, requires annual audits, and bars employees from competing in company contests. It takes effect on July 1st. This bill, which was passed by super majorities of both chambers, will empower Virginia to regulate this emerging industry and keep consumers safe from abuses. Brian Coy, a McCuffley spokesman, said in a statement, The governor signed the bill on Monday. The growing fantasy sports industry, dominated by DraftKings and FanDuel, has drawn increased attention from state regulators over the past year, with the attorneys general of New York, Illinois, and Nevada questioning their legality. The games are illegal in several states. The companies charge customers to take part in mostly single-day games, in which they draft a roster of players whose performance on the field earns points. In statements on a sports gaming website, spokesmen for DraftKings and FanDuel welcomed the Virginia measure. Texas reached a deal with FanDuel last week in which the company will halt paid operations in the state on May 2nd. So I really don't know what to say about this case because I'm not a fantasy sports person. I don't bet money on a sports team because I could possibly lose. But the one time I did bet was for Super Bowl 49 last year when it was the uh, Patriots and Seahawks. And I won, and I won $50 on that game. That's the only time you'll probably see me bet money, although I'll probably bet money for Super Bowl 50. Who knows? Anyways, that is this week's news. Next week, we'll have a lot more news. Also, starting next week, I will talk about the weather all around the country. So stay tuned for that. Now, this week, I do have news for the American Variety Network. So I'm going to go ahead and get to the news for the American Variety Network right now. So, a new series debuts tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern right here on American Variety Network. And it's a new cooking show. This new series is called Cooking School with Chef Alex Cardinelli. You will be able to attend cooking school for free. I will teach you what I learned in my six years of culinary school for free. I'll teach you how to use a knife properly. I'll teach you about food safety. I'll teach you about kitchen equipment. I'll teach you about the different kinds of cooking techniques. And I'll teach you about fine pastries and all of that in which you would learn at culinary school. Now, tomorrow, my very first topic is going to be on food safety. What is cross-contamination? What is the temperature danger zone? What is foodborne illness? 
We're going to discuss that all tomorrow, right on the debut of Cooking School with Chef Alex Cardinelli. I cannot wait to debut this show. I hope that it becomes a success, and I hope that you guys and gals like this show. I'm going to have a student on each month so that they will answer or so that they will ask me questions and I will answer their questions. So again, Cooking School with Chef Alex, Food Safety Live, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, and 5 p.m. Pacific tomorrow evening. Now... My next episode, where Alice Cardinelli and myself will be on, is Saturday Live with Alice Cardinelli on March 12th. I've got a new segment this Saturday, and the new segment is called Cooking on Saturdays. And my very first recipe this Saturday is going to be chicken and veal franchise. Find out what chicken and veal franchise is and get my delicious recipe. My special guest, once again, is going to be John Lowe, and we're going to finish the interview with John Lowe. Uh, Originally, I had planned for Keith Norman to be my guest, but he's not going to be able to make it. So um, this week we're going to have John Lowe on. He's going to share a firefighter story and talk to us about fires. There will be funny phone calls, funny audio clips, and Ask Away with Alice Cardinelli, where I will answer your questions. So please email me your questions to alexgoyankeescardinelli19 at gmail.com, and I promise you I will answer your questions on the air. And... All of our great segments on Saturday Live with Alex Cardinelli. That's this Saturday, March 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern. All right. My last series that is making its debut this week is The Math Effect, which debuts this Sunday, March 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern. This is a show for every Massachusetts citizen. There's going to be a special guest from Massachusetts each week. There's going to be a Massachusetts business spotlight each week. There's going to be news, current events, sports, and weather chat each week. There's going to be a community board to discuss upcoming community happenings. And I'm going to talk about Big Y weekly sales on uh, the Mass Effect. Now, the debut of the Mass Effect, again, is this Sunday, March 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern, and I expect to see all of you, my Massachusetts listeners, tuning into that show. My guest for the debut of the Mass Effect is going to be Bonnie from Bon Chen, a local dog grooming service. My two business spotlights are going to be Captain Jimmy's, a local restaurant in Aglon, Massachusetts, and Donut Dip, a local donut bakery in East Longmeadow and West Springfield, Massachusetts. Plus, I will have a discussion on what I like about Massachusetts, a discussion on cities and towns in Mass, news, and more. So check out the Mass Effect as it debuts this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And my last news for this week is that we have a new host in a new show here on American Variety Network. 
Blossom City Radio is hosted by Jeremy Stellhorn, and Blossom City Radio debuted last night. If you have not already listened to Blossom City Radio, go ahead and listen to their first episode. I was their guest, and he had another guest on, and it was a great show. So Blossom City Radio airs Tuesdays, 8 p.m., Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, and 5 p.m. Pacific. Also, this Friday, Blossom City Radio is going to be airing a special politic show. So check that out this Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, guys. I would like to thank you for tuning in to the very first weekly news hour here on American Variety Network. I personally hope you enjoy today's show, and I promise I will improve and get better during all of these weekly news shows. This is my very first weekly news show, so I have to get used to it, but I promise it will be better, and you guys will enjoy it. I enjoy hosting this weekly news show. Next week, I'll have some more news for you, and I'll be debuting weather and sports news next week as well. So I'll see you next Wednesday. Weekly News Hour on American Variety Network is now off the air. Alice Cardinelli, wishing all of you a great rest of your night, and thank you for listening to American Variety Network. Yes, Alice Cardinelli here. I am proud to announce that I am going to be hosting my very own culinary school series called Cookie School with Chef Alex. Cookie School with Chef Alex will teach you everything you would learn at culinary school, but for free. Mark your calendars. Cooking School with Chef Alex debuts Thursday, March 10th, 2016 at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, and 5 p.m. Pacific live on American Variety Network. Our first topic is going to be food safety. What is the temperature danger zone? What is cross-contamination? How can we keep food safe? All of these questions will be answered on March 10th. So see you then. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash American Network. Next Saturday, March 12th, 2016, live on Saturday, live with Alice Cardinelli. Our special guest will be Keith Norman, the third administrator of our group, National Saltwater and Reef Society. He's a very experienced saltwater aquarist, and he's going to talk to us about saltwater. Plus, a new segment debuts, 
and it's going to be called Cooking on Saturday, best recipe for the weekend, and it's going to be chicken franchise and veal franchise, plus, I'll answer your questions and ask away with Alex Cardinelli, email your questions to AlexGoYankeesCardinelli19 at gmail.com or American Variety Network at Comcast.net. Plus, all of our great segments, including funny phone calls, funny audio clips, and more. So join Saturday Live with Alice Cardinelli next Saturday, March 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Calling all Massachusetts residents, coming to the American Variety Network. On Sunday, March 16th, 2016, at 8 p.m. Eastern, is The Mass Effect with Alice Cardinelli, where I'll be talking about current happenings in Massachusetts, news in Massachusetts, and I'll even promote local Massachusetts businesses. I'm also going to interview some wonderful people from Massachusetts. This is going to be the first Massachusetts blog talk radio show. It's the one stop for every hardworking Massachusetts person. So check out The Mass Effect with Alice Cardinelli on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern if you are a Massachusetts resident. BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash American Network. Donovan here, friend of Alex Cardinale. I personally want to thank you for supporting Alex Cardinale by listening to his episode of American Variety Network. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please check out his Facebook page, American Variety Network, and hit like. And check out our awesome fish group called Freshwater Maniacs. For all the fish keepers listening, check out my YouTube channel, Here for the Fins, for some awesome info on my fish. Thanks for listening, and Alex Cardinale will see you again for the next episode of American Variety Network. Rock on, folks!